This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. June 13, 2003 was a long time coming. 7,638 days, or 20 years, 10 months, and 29 days exactly since Wendy Cofield's body had been found hung up on a snag beneath the Peck Bridge by those boys on July 15, 1982. June 13th, even though it was a historic day, few people knew that two detectives picked up Gary Ridgway from the King County Jail, where he'd been proclaiming his innocence since his arrest in November of 2001. Now, with that pain evidence, he was singing a different tune. He claimed he was ready to spill his guts, or at least that's what he'd agreed to in the proffer. They had shuffled him into the conference room with little fanfare that day, He wore a white, jail-issued jumpsuit, and he was driven to this secret and secure location to sign an agreement. His life in exchange for the GRK's full confession. Today is June 13th, uh, 2003. It's approximately uh, 2 or 3 minutes to 4 p.m. We are located in the uh, Green River Homicide Investigation Unit headquarters at 9010 East Marginal Way South. Mr. Ridgway, I'm going to be asking you some questions about an agreement uh, we have come to reach. Retired King County Sheriff John Urquhart, who was the public information officer at the time, explains the catalyst for this extreme secrecy. So they figured, well, we gotta, you know, we can't we can't keep going back to jail and talking to him because the other other inmates are going to figure out what's going on and tell them to shut up and don't talk to the cops. So that's when they decided to take him out of jail and put him down for six months in an office building, literal office building, that King County owned, fairly new building. The bottom floor, which is like a daylight basement, so it's sunk down about eight feet. That floor was all empty, big, and the floors above were occupied by regular businesses. So they went down there, they plastered all the walls with with butcher paper and moved him down there, took the door off, threw a mattress in there, and that's where he lived for almost six months. We had the SWAT team, 24 hours a day, at least two or three members of the SWAT team sitting outside the door, like I am, Gary's in there, the entire time with the door off and the light on so they could watch him. And then they had a a bathroom, a communal bathroom down the way with a tile floor, so they set up a camp shower. So once a week he could shower and there's a drain in the floor and it's all tile. That's how we showered. They'd march him across the other side of the office where they'd set up the interview room. And then various detectives, sometimes they'd do it at four o'clock in the morning, sometimes not at all, to kind of keep them off balance. They'd go in there and all these videos and everything came out of that room. And he had he had John Prothero and Tony Savage, and I think a third one were his defense attorneys. And they'd rotate in and out, coming in there to, to and uh, first few days, you know, we were pretty tough on Gary, depending on what we decided to do, and various detectives to see who could develop a report. Sometimes they just they'd practically jump down his throat. And I'm told the, the prosecutors would push back really hard, knock it off, You're not, you can't talk like that to my client. But once they figured out who Gary Ridgway really was and how many of these he'd really done, they pretty much backed off. 
That plea deal struck with Gary Ridgway was intended to give families, if not justice, at least some resolution. And it would also save the county millions by not having to pay for a lengthy trial. And by default, that plea deal would also pretty much ensure that no one would ever get the death penalty in Washington state. If one of the most prolific serial killers wasn't sentenced to death, who would be? But the secrecy was also a way to hedge their bet. If Ridgway didn't hold up to his end of the deal, that plea would go up in smoke. Among the representations that are made in the proffer, uh, for example, at page three, the first uh, paragraph A1, the defendant recalls killing 47 to 53 individuals in King County. Is that an accurate statement? Yes, it is. Uh, at paragraph two, it says the defendant recalls that these killings began in July of 1982 and ended in May or June of 1985. Is that an accurate statement? That is. At the very end, at paragraph 18, it says, in exchange for a promise not to seek the death penalty against him, the defendant is willing to plead guilty to 47 counts of aggravated first-degree murder, excluding the presently charged counts. Is that an accurate statement? Uh, yes, it is. Or, I mean, it, it depends how many you find. I don't know. But is it, yeah, it's, it's pretty you, is it accurate yeah, or not? It's pretty accurate, yeah. I can imagine as detectives and the sheriff listened in another room, they were hopeful they would finally get to the truth of what happened. The emotional cost of getting to that truth was unimaginable. From Cavalry Audio, I'm Carolyn Osorio, and this is The Shadow Girls, an in-depth investigation into the victims of the Green River Killer. You're listening to Episode 9, The Liar. The eye of the video camera is always focused on Gary Ridgway's face, his wispy mustache that overhangs his mouth, mousy brown hair thinning in the back. He wore a short-sleeved v-neck jumpsuit for these interviews. It had a chest pocket where he tucked his readers, his skin ghastly white, and he often folds his hands peacefully on the table. That action is extremely disturbing because you know what he has done with those hands. Everyone in the room does, and yet, even in the knowing, it is still hard to reconcile. Ridgeway once, when I was down there, I actually saw him. Uh, Mike was taking him from his to the bath to the bathroom from his his little office. It made the hair on the back of my neck stand up just being that close to him. What did you think? I like, just, was he just? He was like, nothing. He just, was just this short, little, tiny, little guy that just a pipsqueak you know and yet and you look at him like that's why the hair on back of my neck stood up because you look at him look at him and you see you know what this man you know what this man has done and the number of people he has killed not from a distance not with an assault rifle but as up close and personal as you can get not even with a knife but from mounting them from behind and then strangling them and then putting a sock around their neck when he figured out that was easier with a little, and twisting it with a stick and choking him out like that and uh, just, you know, beyond the pale. The place of confession was beyond perfunctory. A conference room with zero bells and whistles. A table placed in the center of the room. 
The killer sits across from his interrogators or psychologists, doctors who were called in as backup to get the truth out of a pathological liar who was always playing games. He hid behind this presentation of himself for so long. The pleasant person, a plodding truck painter who loves swap meets, dumpster diving. He was the reverse of Bundy, who tried to regale whoever would listen with his high IQ. Ridgway, conversely, leaned into his low IQ and third grade reading level. But these highly trained detectives weren't rubes. They could see that his memory problems were highly selective. Things that meant something to him, he remembered. He remembered even the slightest details, the vehicles he had purchased and junk he had picked up at garage sales over the years. But the victims didn't mean anything to him. Agashift was not mine. No, I, I don't think it's... It, it, okay, it, wait a it's minute. not mine. <laughs> now Agashift, you said Agashift isn't yours? And this, uh, There's half, a, 45 minutes ago, you said... Yeah, it's, it's possible. Possible. It's, it's possible. But the idea is, as I get talking and, and you know, I talk you know, myself into stupid things. Mr. Ridgway, you're, you're kind of an annoying person because you, you keep things straight. It's really annoying. Because mm-hmm. um, you, you, I ended up being talked into instead of being firm. I stopped in this time. I didn't kill this. I didn't do this. Well, I, then you get me in. I have to think, oh, maybe. And that's where I'm guessing. I'm, I'm trying to give you something, but then... Now, when you say maybe, then it it it, uh, it blows your blows the way I'm thinking, and blows uh, any confidence you have in me. Well, if yeah. I had a buck for every time you said maybe since we've been doing this, I could retire and walk out of here, and I wouldn't have to come back. You, I wouldn't have to put up with this anymore. You maybe, would. probably, I think. If I had a buck for every one of those you've used in the last seven, eight, nine days. I wouldn't have to listen to this. Anymore. That's that's why it's all tangled up. If it's if it's uncertain, I'm going to start out with maybe. Then I'm going to go this. I'm, gonna, I'm guessing, 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 guessing. You know, three guesses, because I don't I don't I don't remember. If that clip was hard to follow, it was just the tip of the iceberg in a series of lies, purposefully misleading, intentionally messing with the task force as he had done from the very beginning of the case. Investigators knew going in that he would minimize his deeds, that he would lie, which is why the public was kept in the dark about the plea deal, because that ink wasn't dry. The deal would hinge on the word of a serial killer who was a pathological liar and compulsive game player. We all knew he was lying, but it's one of those things where you can't, the plea agreement all, only applied to King County. Mm-hmm. And we think he committed some of his murders in Oregon, certainly trans- takes, took some of the bodies down there. But as soon as he got out of the King County jurisdiction, he subject to the death penalty. So he wouldn't talk about any of that, obviously. Uh, so he was smart enough about that, or his attorneys told him not to. But uh, it, he played so many games. And after six months, the detectives were just tearing their hair out. And they finally came to the conclusion. And they, they found bodies, and they, 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 they found out how other people died. And, and, but a lot of stuff he couldn't really remember very well. Um, but they, they definitely found bodies. They found bones. Anyway, mm-hmm. no question about it. And they got a lot of good information out of it. But a lot of the names he didn't remember. Didn't remember a lot of the, the faces and the pictures they show him. Um, so it was it was worth it. They're all glad they did it. But after six months, they were just beside themselves. And finally, they said, basically, they said, fuck it. We cannot, we can't stand this guy any longer. Why was back. he playing games? Like, what kind of games? Who knows? You know, just like you said, you know, I can't remember. or But nobody knows. He, I think he's, he, a lot of it, he's just stupid. 
You know, you ever sit across somebody across the table for six months with somebody that's just dumb as a stump? You know, they drive you crazy. They absolutely will drive you crazy. And that's kind of what happened, I I think. I do completely agree with you. But then there's also, maybe that's part of the, his, what, the plotting and the average guy. And like, I don't want to ascribe too much intelligence to him, but he did, was able to get, is that kind of a reptilian thing where he just didn't want to get caught? He was described to me as... Dumb as a stump, but cunning like an animal is. Cunning. He figured out that if he takes these bodies and he would he would take them out, you know, and the, started out dumping them right in SeaTac. I kept getting found. So he'd take them out, you know, in eastern King County, park along the road, dump them into a little ditch, drive down, you know, 100 yards, face the other way, walk back up, take the body, drag it out farther into the woods and leave it. That's why we had so much trouble finding the bodies oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So he was cunning from that standpoint. He was cunning from the way that he could talk to these people. But he figured out, and he was cunning from the standpoint of, the, like I said, the, the, the older sex workers fought too hard, and the young ones didn't. So it's just like it's just like something that an animal would do. I'm not gonna that that one's that one's gonna fight me. I'm gonna go after this young one over here. That's exactly what an animal would do, right? When they're after their prey. But I mean, I think there was also this desire to keep like the PI letter that he wrote that the FBI said it's oh, not. Oh, that's him. not him. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it totally was, right? Yeah. So I, I feel like he also wanted to keep everybody. There was that fear thing, and she, Rebecca, said uh, he gets off on this somehow in keeping you know, get avoiding getting caught. Rebecca Gardegue, the one victim to get away from him in November of 1982, called out the motivations of her attacker from the very beginning. Remember her interview in 1986? She told investigators she could tell he was getting off on getting away with his crimes. Do you have anything else to add? Well, if there's anything that I can do to get my relief... Um, I would like possibly to prosecute or press charges. Would you, if this person were charged, would you be willing to prosecute? Would you assist in the prosecution of this individual for the assault on you? Yes, I will, because there could be another person that he does this to. And I know that he got a lot of kicks out of getting away with it. Rebecca was absolutely correct. And as I've listened to hours and hours of these confession tapes, I always come back to the heartbreaking reality of her account because his other victims aren't alive to tell what happened to them. Rebecca, at any time were you afraid for your life during the time you were with this man? The whole time. The minute we drove and walked up to the woods and during the the strangulation, I was... I thought I was going to die, you know. I don't know what made him let me go, but if, if he didn't, I probably wouldn't be here right now. As I've mentioned many, many times in this series, hindsight is truly a killer in this case. Here's a newscast that's haunting. What's it going to take to solve this crime? One lucky break. One individual out there that knows in their heart who's done this and has been reluctant to come forward. This suspect, this individual, has had a remarkable string of luck, and sooner or later, uh, it's gonna run out. Rebecca could have been that one person back in 1982, but she had been too scared to come forward. She didn't want to be labeled 
as a prostitute. Rebecca, yesterday after uh, Detective Griffin and I uh, returned you to the office, I showed you a series of photographs in a, what's commonly referred to as a photo montage. Do you recall that? Did you, do you recall picking a photo in that photo montage? Yes, I do. Do you recall I, what number it was? Number five. That was number five. And what would you say about number five? Was, uh, in other words, what I'm asking you are, what do you, what do you, what can you tell us about number five? Is he a I familiar person, or is that the person we're talking photo about? Photo two years ago, and I still remember his face. Is the picture you saw yesterday, photo number five, is that the man that assaulted you in 1983? That is the man. There's no doubt in your mind about that. No doubt. Okay. And her description of what she felt he wanted to do with her body was absolute truth. Most people that I know get red or they their face looks different well he his face looked white clammy cold his arms everything was cold his hands and this was during the time that he was attempting to strangle you yes and you were fighting back so both of you were you know uh fighting at that yeah. time it seemed like his personality had clicked from the time that I, he said I had bit him to the time that he had picked me up. I was a totally different person. He kind of made me think that if he did kill me, since he wasn't interested in me sexually before that, he probably would have tried to have intercourse if I was dead. Now, what do you mean by you didn't believe that he was interested in you sexually? Well, he's the only guy that never touched me at all or even wanted to look. I'm not saying that that was included, or, or but... the fact that when you were having he, oral sex with him, he didn't have an erection either. He didn't even have that, right? So you That's, thought that he was totally disinter disinterested in you sexually? Right. And you thought that he, I, would, he probably wanted to do something I maybe... Felt I felt like I was his little revenge toy or something, you know. He was taking all his anger out on me. And I bring up Rebecca here again because she is the only one of his victims to have survived, and her account spotlights his lies, as we will see during this confession. But I thought I was doing you guys a favor, killing, killing prostitutes. Here, you guys can't control them, but I can. That was a lie. He preyed on vulnerable people, whether it was a teen who needed a ride or prostituted people he knew wouldn't cause trouble because they didn't think they'd be believed and they didn't want to be viewed as a bad girl. 90% of the women that, don't, that get beat up don't tell because they don't want to be known as a prostitute. They don't want their family to be known that their daughter's a prostitute. But he was wrong. Rebecca would tell. I think your one big mistake is... What's that? You let somebody live. That was your downfall. That's a mistake, Dad. That's a big mistake. Because then Detective McAllister finally found you back in 1984. Mm -hmm. The one that led McAllister to your doorstep was your, to me, was your mistake. Another mistake? He believed nobody would care. Why did you have the urge in the first place? The the hate, the wanting to get even with them. Why? Because she's a prostitute, not not worth anything. Nobody what? looked for her. Nobody look for her? Nobody would look for her. Nobody would, you wouldn't, an officer would not, that'd be second after looking after uh, uh, an ordinary woman. They wouldn't, they would look more harder on looking for a, that than a, a prostitute.
The Shadow Girls will continue after a word from our sponsors. And now, back to The Shadow Girls. When the interviews with Gary Ridgway first began, he claimed that he didn't plan on killing anyone. Ridgway blamed his rage on something that occurred during his so-called dates. He said her failure to feign orgasm with sufficient enthusiasm or hurrying him during sex, that these actions would provoke an uncontrollable rage. Basically, it was their fault. Had any feeling for me of uh, working me to uh, get me hard, like I'm saucing my uh, balls. Um, so if she didn't do those things, that upset you? That upset me, yes. And you would kill her? Not then and there, but later on, if I, when I was going back, if she wasn't helping, if she wasn't talking dirty or, or enjoying it and would let me touch her breast in the middle of the time, maybe it, she might have said, uh, hurry up, and that would, would, would throw me into rage. Okay, explain the rage. What did you do when you hit that point of rage? I would uh, grab her with my right arm around her neck and choke her. For how long? I, I, I never had a stopwatch and check but, uh, until she stopped uh, moving. What were you saying to her while you choked her? Um, I, don't, I don't know what I would say to her. Just think of some of the things you might have said. I'm, oh, some of the generosity. Uh, probably, uh, you, you bitch. Uh, I, um, I don't like hurrying. That's one of the things. Um, whatever, something that she did. Um, I didn't say you know you. Uh, I don't know what. Um, this rage was also blamed on women at his work who he claimed used manipulation to get easier tasks and better shifts. That might have been a day I, I painted and with a, another woman, and we got the, all the hard work, and they got the easy jobs. And mm-hmm. they manipulate people to get the easy jobs. And we, I and my other partner would have the hard ones to do. That upset that, you? That upset me a lot, and... Um, I, um, I'm not blaming it on chemicals from the paint, but I always always had problems with headaches and stuff with the chemicals. And uh, at that time, I was painting that um, until later on. Um, but um, so, but, are, are you saying, Gary, that it was when you would kill someone? Was it usually a reaction to something that had happened that day in your life? A combination of all of it. I thought it just. Uh, my ex-wife um, not giving, having my my son on the weekend. Maybe um, I had him the weekend before, and it is depressing to have taken back all the time. Mm-hmm. And being every time I went to my house, I knew I got screwed on buying the house. That was really depressing. It was being child support. But you were but, with a lot of women that were close to you. I mean, you've, you've dated women your whole life. You've been yes. involved with marriages. You've had a lot of girlfriends. We've talked to a lot of your girlfriends. You were PWP, Parents Without Partners, mm-hmm. and, you know, Judith and Marcia and Claudia. 
Roxanne. Why didn't you kill them? Why didn't you kill Roxanne? Because um, when we ever had sex, we always had sex with no clothes on. Right. And if... Uh, uh, if you had so much pressure, though, every day at work, if you're going to blame outside sources, mm -hmm. then it seems like you would have been violent in your home, you know, people that were close to you. But you I was, I was, at all the, all the pinned up rage I had, and had no way of, of getting it unless. These girls didn't mean anything to you. They weren't going home with you. That's. You weren't paying for their children. You were taking care of Matthew. Mm -hmm. Matthew was important to you. That's right. Mary Meehan wasn't. She was pretty, but you knew, you knew most of these girls when you picked them up. You had something in mind that probably wasn't going to turn out exactly the way you pictured it in your mind. That's exactly what, yeah. And you killed them. Mm -hmm. And some you buried, some you threw away. He would also blame his divorces, poor sleep, failure to stick up for himself, and child support payments. And that killing released these pressures. But again, these were lies that detectives and psychiatrists would catch him in. And as time wore on, he would admit that once he managed to get a young woman or girl to his house, that he would murder her, regardless of how she acted or how he felt. And the video camera was there, capturing those moments when his mask would finally be lifted, when he couldn't help reliving his crimes as he was confessing, the lens recording the evil malevolence as his lip would curl, talking about his unspeakable deeds, exposed jagged lower teeth, his veins plumped beneath sickening alabaster skin. And in those unguarded Dorian Gray moments, the truth. What was it about having sex with a dead body that you preferred over just going out and getting another woman to kill? Oh, one thing you'd have to pay for it, she was already, she was already dead, but it you would you would have got the money back from the next one mm -hmm. because you wouldn't you weren't paying well, for it. You were yeah, a pretty I wasn't cheap paying. guy at times, right? What's that? You were a pretty cheap guy at times. I was you know. Um, so you weren't gonna be paying for if you went out and got another woman killed her, you weren't gonna be paying. And that's what I spent a lot of hours looking and looking, looking for other women to kill. A lot of you know, gas and everything looking for more people to kill and, and that was a uh, Plus, on my part, you had to bring her all the way back after having sex. Now, don't let me, I don't want to influence your thinking. So, you're, are you saying to me that what helped you get over the line from the desires and the urges to do it to making the final decision to act on it was that when you were actually in the situation, it was going to be more inconvenient and more expensive if you let her have the money and you drove her back into town rather than just kill her. Yes, that's exactly it, because money is money to me, I mean. Yeah, money was important, okay. And after over 20 years, investigators would finally get some version of the truth of what had happened to these young women and teens, like the GRK's confession of how he murdered Wendy Cofield, who he had emphatically claimed was his first victim. Even that would be like pulling teeth. We know a lot about Caulfield because she was the first one. Yes. And uh, 
some of the things that we know are that uh, she had a you know, troubled background. And, and the day she disappeared, at least the day that we think she disappeared, mm -hmm. she had gone to Tacoma. Uh, she was living in a foster situation there. She leaves. I mean, she goes down, checks in, checks right back out. And that's the last we know of her. Just picked her up late in the evening. Just know that she was young and... Uh... How do you know the first one? Was Caulfield? I mean, have you you've seen the photographs? Well, she you, was the one. That, she was the one that uh, that I, I killed. Within ten minutes after I killed her, I drove her to the spot in the river. So I didn't was keep her at all. No, didn't keep her at all. I I knew I twisted or broke her one of the hands, right or left. How did you do that? Uh, either twisted. I think it was a twisted or. And this occurred during what? When I was taking her over to put her in the river, she had her. I think she had the sock around the pants around her neck, I didn't bother to take them off, and I automatically was still had some rage. I used my knee on it, on her, I don't remember. How do you know the arm, how do you know you broke something? It snapped. You heard it? I heard it snapped, did and it I deform, thought it was. Did it deform right away or something? Or? No, I, don't, I thought it was an elbow. I might have turned it and then put my knee into it here, and I don't know where it broke. She was all, she was laying down no weight to her, and I grabbed her by the feet, and I walked her towards, I could see the bridge from there, it was night. And I could see the outline of the bridge, and I walked her 20 feet down, kind of north. You walked her, she was alive. You know, you know drug her down. Dragged her down. Dragged her down, um, feet or hands, put her automatically in the river. I don't know if I took any more clothes off, but when I put her into it, there's no more clothes. I didn't think about pulling off the ligature, the pants. Was, well, was the pants the ligature? Is that, how did you strangle her? I think I strangled it, and I put the pants on to make sure she was completely dead when I drove her over there and I left them on there. Pulled her down. There was a fishing trail there, kind of n north on the river, just down along the bank. Ro rolled her in and and then uh, got in the truck and went down a little ways, turned around, come back and... Did you step home. into the water yourself? No, on that one, no, I didn't. You just rolled her off the... No, I pulled her down and got her next to the water and then pushed her in. Okay. And I knew she was floating and you saw her floating away? Yeah, I saw her floating away, probably 10, 15 feet at most, maybe, because I pushed her. Okay. But it was summer, and if I did get wet, it didn't bother me. It's summer, it's warm. Investigators kept trying to get a bead on what his plans were after he had murdered Wendy. Were you, you guys, surprised at how quickly the body was found? Did that, did that alter your thinking about the next one? No, that was my very first one, and that's I knew she'd be found within three days because of the bridge right there and getting hung up someplace. You gave some thought to her hanging up instead of ending up in Puget Sound? Yeah. Rafting down the river there and ending there up in Puget Sound? Somebody, if she got past that, she got <coughs> snagged there. But if, uh, when I put, she gets snagged there and wouldn't, uh, somebody end up finding her. It was a bitter pill for investigators to swallow that the GRK's plan seemed so ad hoc, random, that he just decided one day to become a serial killer. Fear factor of getting caught, getting getting caught by you or getting caught by the pimp. And that's when I decided I'm gonna kill him and I'm not gonna let him not gonna let him go. All at once you decide all that. Within a, a month's period of time probably between you the never, two. You never never changed your never changed your style, never because you had it so perfect from the very first one you never had to change anything. Well I don't like I don't like blood and and if I have sex with her after if I have to move them there's blood all over the place. There's a knife I gotta hide. I can't carry the knife all the time. I get pulled over or something to check out my vehicle. There's a murder weapon. I'd have to change knives every time. I'd have so to... you thought about all of that? 
No, I, I never thought of it because I, I, that's what I'm thinking about now in the, looking at the past. In yeah, but history. you must have thought about that ahead of time to form this, to form the opinion that you wouldn't, you didn't want to leave evidence. Choking doesn't leave the type of evidence. Doesn't like, like a, gunshots or sharp edges. Yeah, and then I got blood all over inside the truck. So that's correct. Yeah. So you must have, I mean, you must have conceptualized or thought about that ahead of time. Yeah. You know, read books, seen movies, watched TV, whatever. I, I just don't like, I just don't like blood. Just don't like blood. No. An even harder pill to swallow was that he barely remembered the details about Wendy Cofield's murder, which was supposedly his first victim. And he claimed to remember even less about Deborah Bonner. The next one is, is uh, Bonner. Well, I'm just going chronological Chron- order. Chronological order, yes. Give us something what on this one. She's uh, the, the uh, dark-haired, uh, kind of tall woman. Um, I picked her up somewhere on Pacific Highway South, somewhere around the airport. Um, I picked her up at night, killed her at night, took her down to uh, Green, Green River by the meat uh, factory there, the PT Meats or whatever it was called. On the south side of the PT Meats, I walked her into, or drug her into a, down by the river, to put her in the water and I pushed her down and she hung up for underneath some branches. I don't know how long she was gonna be there for. You could actually see her get hung up in the branches? Yes, it did. I thought she was completely naked. Her uh, head and her face were the first thing that got caught in it, so she's still facing head on her on her back. So she's she's, she's stuck st- on these branches. She's bra- on her stuck back. on her. On, I don't see. On, she's stuck on the branches. Um, I think it was on her front, on uh, face first in the water. Now she's face and first. I think she's face first. Yeah, and she's stuck under the branches. That is when I. Uh, she's too far for me to go down to move, and it was a lot of. It was all water there. So I had to swim down there to get her loose or just leave her, and I just left her there. Have you seen the crime scene photos of this case? No, no crime scene photos at all. Never been shown any photos? No. And I, she got hung up there for a while, and I just left her there and got, walked back to the bank, got back in the truck, and left. It was, it was at night, and you couldn't see too much, but I knew she got hung up there for a while, and she might broke loose, but... For a while, she was there. Did she have any clothing on? I don't think she had any clothing on at all. I, I don't remember. No clothing? I was only in there for shortly at a time and less than, less, than, less than five minutes and then got up in the bank and drove back home. Went, took, drove around a little ways and came back out and drove by the side when I was leaving and went on home. Came back the next day? But it was a place where I, I couldn't get to her to to either have sex with her or to to uh, put rocks over her, whatever it was I was going to plan to do. After you found the, the two first bodies, I started to put rocks over the rest of them, uh, the three black women. But you never put rocks on Caulfield? No, never put rocks on her. I, sh- I should have, but I didn't. Remember, the bodies of Marsha Chapman, Cynthia Hines, and Opal Mills would be found three days later. And, of course, Ridgway would be sketchy about those details, too. Detectives would get him to explain the circumstances behind the murders of the river victims. They didn't go in the river right away. They went in the river, uh, 
I went back the next day and put them in the river, just like I did with the last one. When the mills that went on top of the bank or something, wouldn't get in the river. That one I didn't have time to because they're the, the fishermen down there. And that's when I drove away past. So you had sex with them before you put them in the river? I had sex with just the two in that cluster. I didn't have Bonner, I didn't, I didn't have Pride. So you kept them aside for a day or so and then you Yes. Then you had sex with them. Then I had sex with them. put them in the river. Yes, two only at the time. The next day, and then, you know, when I went back to the river, and, and, and after that, rocks you... on it. He detailed what he had done to Marsha Chapman as her three children were waiting for their mother to come home. Came back the next day, got back in the truck, came back the next day, had sex with her. Just left her on the bank. Just left her on the bank down by the water, had sex with her. Next day. Next day, put her in the water. Sex one time. Sex one time. I was on top of her. Put her in the water and then put a rock over her. Probably two rocks over one her over her stomach and one over her leg. That could have been the same night. It might not have been the next morning. I'm just I'm, I'm quite sure she was she was not uh, rigor mortis as in sitting. So I killed her. I had sex with her that night when I put her in the river. And then I, I know I put the rock on her. It must have been at night. I, it, I don't know. Do right, you know let's what? Start up because you're getting you're getting. I'm getting I'm getting mixed up too. Yeah, you are. Let's kill her at night. Killed her at night. Took her to the river. Took her to the river at night. Left her on the river. Bank. Left her on the river bank. Do you know what shift? I probably work day shift. Yeah, work day shift. She wasn't rigor mortis when I had sex with her. So let's go back for the second time. Second time after putting the water, I, I, she didn't have rigor mortis, and I think it had been at night. You know more about rigor mortis than I did. When I, and then I put her in the river and put the rock over her. It was still at night. It, it, so, so you've, you've gone back at night. Yeah, I'm, this is this all in one night. It had to be, because I, I don't know how much, how long. If I work during the day, the mortis doesn't stay. I'll it doesn't. tell you that. Okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe you can even help me out with that. How long does it take to fade out? Well, it sets in, can be fixed in about twelve hours, but after about maybe possibly fifteen to eighteen hours, it starts to leave again. Depends on conditions. Yeah. Because I didn't have to. I didn't have to. Her her legs were. Um, I didn't have to pry them apart or anything. There was no rigor mortis set in. So, but the second time you're back there, what you recall is it being night again. Uh, no, the second time it had had to be during the day, three or four in the afternoon. With this victim. With this victim, yes. Then I took off any clothes that she had on, put her in the river, put rocks on her and then found a river rock there. And I don't know what order the river rock, maybe it was right after I had sex with her, but I put it in her vagina. So, okay, let me get this. When, at what point did you insert the rock in her vagina? Well, it was after after sex and right beginning of putting her in the river. So before you put her in the river? Before I was putting her in the river. Insert the rock in her vagina. Yes. And where'd you get that rock? Right there uh, in the river. There a lot of rocks right there in the river. No, I didn't bring any rocks. It would, have, it would have all the uh, sediment out and stuff like that. How about what? The rock would have all the sediment that was in the water. Oh. It would have all the moss and stuff on it. Then I... Why, why did you do that? Why did you put the rock in the vagina? Maybe symbolic that the woman would not have sex with anybody else. I don't know, keep anybody from else having sex. You know, not, not that they would because she's dead, but just, to, just to something that I wanted to do. 
So I started on there. I was going to do it. Is this something you thought of before? Yeah, I or? thought of just when I got there, had sex. There's a, there's a rock. I'll put it in her vagina. They would have to ask him again and again about most of the river victims. He was constantly misdirecting and leaving out information, like the fact that he'd been back to the river scene, not just to have sex with their bodies, but also to take Polaroid pictures. Gary, what were in the photos? Photos were... How many photos were there? There was was three, maybe... No, it was only three. One Gary, you know how many exactly? I know exactly. I'm telling you exactly. There was only three. One over in the water, in the first one, one in the bank, and one after after I put her in the river with the two two together, and that was the only three pictures I took. What did the pictures depict? What what did they show? What exactly? They showed the, the naked body. One at a time. The 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 very first one was the um, I don't know what order. The water one was first. Then I took the picture of the one on the bank. Naked, um, I was uphill from the, from her, standing at her a little bit away from her feet, and took a picture down at her. Then put the camera down after I threw the the naked part away in the water. And then I took the one on the bank into the water and got down. Uh, so I was in shorts. Uh, summer rolled the rolled the rock over, big heavy rock. It was pretty heavy on top of her, on, uh, and then got out. Water was, water was up past my, my shorts are always wet, so up the stomach or about um, chest high, or, and uh, it was, I don't know which one of them, one was really, really heavy, and I couldn't lift it, so I rolled it. Were any part of you in the photos? No, no, I wasn't in the photo. I made sure that shadow. No, no shadow. This morning, I had, I had, I had to get. To, I think it was morning. I don't know what, what shift I was on. I dropped them off at night, and I came back the next day to put them in the river. We'll be right back with the Shadow Girls after a word from our sponsors. And now we continue with the Shadow Girls. Ridgway would admit that during his killing spree between 1982 and 84, he slept only a couple of hours a night and devoted the rest of his free time hunting for victims, killing them, and disposing of their bodies. Investigators just weren't buying that he didn't have these photos. He claimed he had stashed them at a Red Lion Hotel parking lot, but had thrown them away long ago. Ridgway spun a web of lies. He even lied about the significance of the river itself as the starting point for his murderous rampage. Just weeks prior to the series that started at Green River, you had not gone down there at the monument near PD&J and sat there and just contemplated life or death? No. Had a beer and... Uh, that was usually what I, I had to go pick up Matthew. That was the road I'd go over uh, the bridge there, Maker Bridge. Right, or oh, the, the Kendamoy. And then go over and pick up my son and I'd come back. I don't have them, and and that was just uh, just uh, water was the first place I put, put the body in. Why lie about this? Remember all those times he expected his second wife Marcia to have sex with him on the banks of the Green River? How he had brought his little boy there for bike rides? Finally, investigators would learn the reason why he stopped using the Green River to deposit his victims 
It was because of his run-in with that river picker, Bobby Ainsworth, who had seen him on the bank. I don't, I don't know what day of the week. All right, so then you, and, and then. Back the next day to screw her and to move her into the water, and that's what kept her in the truck on the way down there. No, I didn't kip her any place. Like I'd done before, I've killed two people well, in the same day. you Mills down there to the river? I took her down to the night. Uh-huh. Intending to come back the next day to screw her and to move her into the water, and that's what. Now, where's Hines then? Hines is already in the river. Hines is in the river because when I went back the next day in my ball cap and I saw the guy down there, I did not have a time to put Miller into the the river and to cover up with rocks. I didn't have time. I was going down there to screw her and put her in the river. I killed, I killed her. I killed her on nights. I killed all those victims on nights, and it went back the next day to the Bonner and uh, Cofield I put in the water right away. The other other three I was going to have sex with and put them in the water. Remember, Bobby had just been floating down the Green River on that hot summer day back in August of 1982, looking for collectibles on the river floor when he saw a stranger who had called out to him, asking Bobby if he'd found anything. That stranger was actually Gary Ridgway. And just a few moments later, Bobby would find the bodies of two women that stranger, Gary Ridgway, had raped, murdered, and weighed down their corpses beneath the water with boulders. Gary Ridgway would admit that this was a close call and something he considered as one of his greatest mistakes. I came back on the fragrant? Is that what I heard you say? Yeah, I, I, I came down, went down well pretty far down by um, some place where there was uh, a turnaround, maybe two miles down or something like that, and came back. Came back, why Why would you do that? And because I drove all the way down on that side, he couldn't see me, and I was more worried about going down the river, he wasn't worried about me. Okay. And I came back, because that was the fastest way back up to my house, and I didn't even, I pulled over on the other side of the road when I drove by, mm-hmm. so he wouldn't see me, and uh, and I didn't see him either. You didn't see him? I didn't see him the second time. Did you see anybody else? A couple kids on bicycles or? No. No, I didn't see anybody else. Okay. Got up to the... uh, Was your partner factor a little bit high right about then? Yes, it was. I knew I... I I knew there was... uh, That's why I've always thought that's probably the closest we ever came to you, right right about then. Mm Mm-hmm. He did say he saw a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. What color, though? Hmm? Did he say what color? <clears throat> you know see. what? I don't remember. And more truth was revealed when a psychiatrist came in to get information. So by the time you started putting rocks on them, had your point of view, was your point of view shifting to the not wanting to be found? Not wanting to be found and more of my possession and... and uh, so you were then feeling more possessive about them and wanting to be able to visit them. Mm-hmm. And so did you go back and visit the women in the river? Well, like, for instance, uh, I'd pull one in the river. Bonner, I didn't go back because I, I was going to kill another one in the next days. You knew already you were going to kill one the next day? Yeah, and that was going to be where my, the rest of my 
when we were going to be dumped off. You already knew at that point you were going to go out the next day. I was always going out the next day, no matter what. But no, I was going to plan put another woman in that in that same area. So by that point, what you're saying to me was that in a matter of a few months, you were had gone from going over the line from thinking about killing to actually killing, and then you went from killing the first time and having a little bit, and the second time, and having a little bit of conflict inside of yourself about whether you wanted to get found or not, to going over the next line of knowing that you were going to kill the very next day. Is that mm -hmm. correct? What was your feeling, what were your feelings like at that time, at the time you went over the line to knowing that you were going to be feel, killing the next day? What does it feel like to have those kind of feelings? Describe them. Uh. They were feelings of uh, possession for the bodies. They're they're my they're they're my women, and I mean control of their you know being found. And I was I was getting more twisted. Like with Cofield, I didn't go back and have sex with her. With the three in in the cluster there, I went back and had sex with two of them. I didn't get a chance to have sex with the third one. Who were the two you went back and had sex with? Um. Champion and uh, Hines. And they were in the river? They were in the river, and I put rocks in their vaginas. And why did you say, what did you mean when you said you were getting more twisted? Well, having sex with a dead body. And the psychologist was able to get the GRK to reveal that the rocks were the first in a long line of twisted games he was playing with the task force. I taunted the police with the uh, rocks in the vagina. That was a kind of power to that was that was power. Uh, I don't want to put um, in your mouth. Yeah, it's, why, it's, why did you do that? It's something only the police and I would know. So you wanted the police to be aware of that you and they had a little secret together. Yes. And why was that important? I don't. Uh, I don't. Don't really know why. But it was more than that. From the start, Gary Ridgway was monitoring the news and got off on playing games, especially taunting Detective Reichert. Who are you concerned about throwing off? St throwing off the police. I know the task force probably didn't, but it's a throw off the police, the people who Mr. Reichert was looking for. He was, in, he was in starting to charge the, the, the first six, and I saw him on TV and thought he was gonna be in charge of the whole thing. And you're saying you saw him on TV, when the hell did you see him on TV? Right? See him on TV when they were walking around with the bodies in the bank and stuff like that. I thought it was someone on TV or in a newspaper. Investigators would come to believe that the GRK never bragged or confessed his crimes to anyone. But they had a hard time accepting that he could suppress the need most serial killers have to keep trophies of his kills. Later, they would come to find out that he relived his crimes by visiting his so-called clusters and also planting the jewelry of his victims on unsuspecting co-workers like Benita. He was always nice to me. He'd um, bring his jewelry, me, and then, you know, found out I gave it to one of the police guys. And then after I found out that it was jewelry from the dead people. Talk to me about how he approached you with the jewelry. Was it on more than one occasion? Yeah. And what would you say? Oh, here, you know, I got some jewelry that... I found Ben a lot of years ago, and because I wore jewelry back then, and I said, oh, that's pretty. And did you take it? Yeah, I took it. 
He would surreptitiously leave it in the women's restroom at his work, hoping they would pick it up and wear it so he could relive what he'd done, fantasizing as he painted those trucks. Joke about anything that came up in the paper with Green River. To any I, I stayed 100% away from them. When he brought something up about the Green River, I just walked away and just listened. I knew I was a suspect, and later on, when they somebody other did you have a little shit-eating grin on your face that you knew? Well, all, you I know. I had a I not a dad, but I stood back and listened. But also, when I threw in the jewelry, I I heard people talking to it. And my favorite thing was maybe if somebody's walking around with a piece of that jewelry that they found in the bathroom. You knew where it I came knew from. Where it came from, and so you I, got kind of a little. Uh, I got a little chuckle when they, I found some jewelry up here in the bathroom, and. And uh, maybe somebody says, you know, you know, anything. Did anybody I've... ever come to you and say, well, there's a little jewelry fairy working in this place that drops stuff and we know. Bonita would say that most employees steered clear of Ridgeway, but she struck up a friendship with him that included Bible study in his truck. I know we used to have Bible studies in his car, his truck, I mean. And then he said, no, we can't have it in my truck anymore. See, back then, back in the 69, we were allowed to take our vehicles down there and paint them. Brown and beige, two thing, and he put a canopy on it. And he said, we got to have Bible studies in your car. And I went, okay. And then he put curtains up in it. Well, rumor had it that he w- he did go out and have sex with them. With who? The dead bodies. And... I think that's why he was going out to his camper. And I know one time he came to work, he was an hour late, and his pants were all wet. And I said, Gary, you're late. But he had to change his clothes because we had to wear those white paper mache. And I think what happened was he probably went out to where he had one buried, had sex with it because he had to walk in the water. And that's where I kind of, after that, I got a clue. Because when they come down to Kenworth and tore his locker apart, and they tore his house apart, came down, and then after that, I kind of like, I said, Gary, did you do that? And he said, no. Because there's a couple times that when we had Bible study, he said, Benita, I done something really bad. And I went, what'd you do? He said, well, I can't tell you, but he said, well, God forgive you for anything. And I said, yeah, except for two sins, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost and suicide. Well, I've done something so bad, I don't think God will forgive me. But he never would tell me. Bonita's instincts were right. Detective Dave Reichert would later sum up a day in the life of the GRK. He was a killing machine. And so one case on the way to work, picks up a young girl, kills her. First he has sex with her, kills her, keeps her in the back of the pickup truck with a canopy on it, drives to work, works four hours. At lunch break, he goes out to his truck, drives to a dead end street, has sex with a dead body in the back of the truck, drives back to work, finishes out the shift, Gets in the truck, drives, starts to drive home, hits a dead-end street, has sex with the body again, buries her, and then drives to his home, has dinner with his wife, watches TV, and goes to bed. Next time on The Shadow Girls. After 20 years, Detective Dave Reichert, now King County Sheriff Reichert, had been biding his time, watching the interviews from a separate room in that basement confessional. But after months of lies and deception, 
Could Reichert get the truth out of the Green River Killer? The problem I'm having with that is that even with just you and me in this room talking, mm-hmm. that you really haven't given up. You know, those, those 90s bodies are the one to two that you killed a year. There are those out there that are yours. And you, that's a chance that you have to give those up, but you're just not giving those up, you see. So that's why we, that's why we wonder, uh, you're not talking about the bodies you said you've done. Why should we believe you on the bodies that when you say, I didn't do them, see? The Shadow Girls is a Cavalry audio production in association with iHeartRadio. Our producer is Brandon Morgan. We're executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. For Cavalry Audio, I'm Carolyn Osorio. Our post-production supervisor is Casey Wayland. Supervising sound editor, Victoria Chang. Edited by Joey Jordan. <laughs>